Hello, this is Robert Rickover at Body Learning, and today my guest is Galen Kranz, who is a professor of architecture, sociologist, designer, author, lecturer, and certified teacher of the Alexander Technique. Uh, she's probably best known uh, in the Alexander world uh, for a book she wrote about 14 years ago called The Chair, Rethinking Culture, Body, and Design. Uh, I would say must-reading for anyone who's at all concerned about sitting. Uh, we're going to talk today about uh, something that is um, more related specifically to the Alexander Technique, which is one of uh, the s sort of self-help directions that Alexander teachers will often uh, teach their students is something along the lines of I'm letting my neck be free in order that my head can move forward and up or in some versions can release away from my torso or something along those lines but the word my head tends to appear in uh, Alexander self directions and we're going to talk a little bit about just what that head is Galen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Could you? I'm, yeah. I'm glad to be able to talk about this with somebody else who cares about this subject. Well, there. Well, Alexander teachers care a lot about about uh, their heads um, <laughs> and their necks, uh, hopefully. Um, could you? But for those, I think may, maybe this interview will be more of more interest to Alexander teachers than the general public. But I wonder if you could just give a very short uh, definition of the Alexander Technique for anyone who's not familiar with it. Yeah, sure. I call it um, a system of posture and movement. And if somebody pauses and looks at me expectantly like they want more, then I'll say uh, it was invented 100 years ago by an Australian um, and it's used by people in the performing arts to learn to move more expressively and articulately and it's also used by people in pain in order to get rid of pain but it is neither therapy nor performance it is a form of kinesthetic education right and alexander teachers are our teachers we're not not therapists exactly so as i said before um Alexander teachers uh, are, are very interested in their heads and how their heads relate to the rest of their their bodies, and they're very interested in their students' heads and how their students' heads are related to the rest of their bodies. And we had a little brief conversation before the inter interview in which you and I discovered we had something in common, which is that we have both thought about what this head is that everyone's talking about, and it may not be quite as simple as uh, many teachers or Alexander students um, uh, think of think about it as. Uh, do you want to start by saying a little bit about some of your um, refinements on the word head? Okay. <laughs> well, um, I noticed that most of the English teachers uh, would just say, let your head go forward and up, dear. And mm, I guess I thought I knew what my head was, more or less. So I imagined that there was a kind of mm, hover, my head was sort of hovering on my neck, 
like a little hovercraft relationship between the occiput and the top vertebrae of the spine, sort of imagined a little kind of airy space, a hovercraft, you know, some little force creating um, an interesting flotation or tension there, flotation, you might say. That's about as much as I thought about it. And then I got introduced to ideas from cranial osteopathy about the fact that the bones in the head move. Mm -hmm. Apparently the British are keen on this. The British osteopaths recognize this as a simple fact, and apparently I've heard that American ones are not so certain. But um, generally I think it's the cranial osteopaths are all convinced that those bones move, and they move on the kind of float. You you can float them apart on the dura. That's how they do treat them therapeutically. But for us, the idea is simply that they move. And so I began to see that think of taking the occiput back and up, and letting the frontal bone, the forehead bone, release forward and up. And if we have allow this opposition between the two bones, bingo uprightness gets created as a byproduct. So we don't have to seek or to go up. We simply let the occiput, the bottom bone of the skull, drift back and up as we let the frontal bone go forward and up. Now, the idea from, from cranial sacral osteopathy is that there's something called flexion and extension in these cranial bones. That is, the, the frontal bone and the occiput drift apart and the parietals, the side bones, come together and then the parietals widen and the frontal front bone frontal bone and the occiput come together. So there's this slow, very slow moving moving uh, flexion and extension in the cranium itself. And the purpose of it is one one of its purposes is to be able to pump cerebral spinal fluid and you need a free sacrum for that for the other end of that whole system. Cerebral spinal fluid doesn't have a heart to pump it, so it has to rely on the movement of flexion and extension in the cranium mm-hmm. and, and the, pelv- and the uh, sacrum. So I was happy with that for quite some time and, um, you know, would demonstrate to people if you take, say, take, imagine you've got a piece of cloth in your hands right now, and one hand is the occiput and the other hand is the frontal bone, and you and you just take those two pieces, two ends apart very gently, what happens to the middle? The middle comes up. It's just simple, you know, simple physics. Mm-hmm. And I got really good results. You know, I can feel people coming up all the way from the soles of their feet just by letting their these two bones drift apart, and I could get this in a first lesson. So I was pretty happy with myself, patting myself on the back. <laughs> and then I, this idea uh, got even further refined when I met Peter Grunewald and started working with his work um, on how t- to use the brain. Uh, in his case, it was to s- see without using glasses. And there, he has picked out a particular spot in the brain at the top of the visual cortex, which he calls the upper visual cortex, and um, wants one to direct from there and let the front of the brain 
um, do its own thing. Mm-hmm. So I began to see that that head might have, there was even an, a, a much more internal understanding of what head is, that the brain stem itself goes, releases forward and up, and the coordinating lobe, which sometimes they call, some I've seen in some books called the associative cortex, that it stays back and up, and we don't fall forward into our frontal lobes. So, you know, my understanding of what head is, is undergone a lot of transformation. And, and I think that um, certainly when I was training in England back in the late 70s and early 80s, I don't, I don't remember anyone ever saying anything other than the head as though it were a kind of a solid unit that was, as you say, poised at the top of your spine and how you manage that relationship between this pretty solid unit and your spine was very important. But there wasn't much of an idea of any internal uh, movements within the head. I, too, discovered uh, cranial sacral work, not the osteo... Well, the American osteopathic version, I guess you might say. And uh, I think that anyone who... Uh, spends any time having cranial work very quickly uh, knows that there's movement because you can directly sense it and you can sense it on other people as well. So it's certainly that kind of blows away the idea of the head as a fixed, like a bowling ball kind of thing. Um, But I also started thinking... um, also the, about other aspects of the head. Maybe you've been uh, thinking about those as well. Uh, certainly the most obvious one is the jaw, which maybe technically is not part of the head. I don't know how, how, how anatomists uh, deal with that. But when most when most Alexander teachers are thinking of the head moving forward and up or whatever they're thinking of, they're usually assuming that the jaw is kind of part of that. And yet, of course, the jaw has got its own little world of independence there with respect to the rest of the head, which uh, I, I think Alexander was definitely aware of that. I think whispered ah in his, his, his exercises is is dealing with that and the other thing that kind of sprung into my mind uh early on was was the eyes which move clearly move around independently and certainly when you work with a student and reor and help them uh with a little change in in how their head's managed on top of their spine typically they got to rearrange the way their eyes are managed relative to their head. So there's obviously a lot more going on than a solid unit. And yeah. I think that has huge implications for Alexander teachers and students. I think so too. Um, and I, I think it's a disservice to continue with the solid unit. <laughs> Just to let your head go forward. Yes. Yes. Uh, I think we need to incorporate the newer stuff that we now know. I mean, okay, they didn't know, but now we do know about right, so, right. so, and now we know a lot about the brain and the eyes and the jaw and, you know, so there's no reason not to uh, uh, accommodate uh, that knowledge into our 
work, even if it means adjusting our paradigm a wee bit. Yeah, so, I, well, I, I agree. And it's, it's funny because I had a conversation uh, for, uh, with, with Peter Grunwald for a podcast a few weeks ago in which, uh, of course, he, his, one of his big interests is the brain. Mm-hmm. Now, um, Alexan- when Alexander was doing his investigations, he, I mean, he was, he, he totally got that mind and body were two aspects of the same thing. But back in those days, the brain itself was not all that well understood, certainly not very well mapped in the way it is today. Yes. And, um, I, I, I found, for example, kind of following up on something that Peter said, and I've just been playing around with it, and this is not his exact phrasing by any means, but, uh, and I tend to go for negative directions. <clears throat> I am not statements. So if I find, if I say I'm not, I'm not compressing my brain or not squeezing my brain or you know, something along those lines, it has tremendously useful effects, as well, especially if I have some idea of where my brain is. So, you know, I just get an anatomy book out and take a look and see where the various parts of my brain are located. Well, you know, I must say my first teacher, uh, Tom Lemons, not my first teacher, but my trainer, would say when I couldn't get something, he'd say, I'd say, I don't know how to do it. And he'd say, you just you have to find the place in your brain that isn't letting go and let go. Mm-hmm. So I did have that very simple idea, you know, find the place in your brain, but I didn't know any anatomy either. So mm-hmm. I now I know a lot more and I've gotten interested in the three basic layers of the brain, the mm-hmm. you know, reptilian, the mammalian, and the neocortex. Mm-hmm. I've gotten interested in how you can consciously move into one or the other of those. Um and how you can actually grow a part of your brain. I mean, if you start to imagine something that you can't see, mm-hmm. it actually makes the visual cortex enlarge. Like you can put your hand like about on your colic. Mm-hmm. And, and if you imagine, like start to describe something that you can't see, but you have to, you want to detail it, you know, like, oh, this house or these flowers or what your dog looks like or someplace you've been, that part of the brain, you can activate that part of the brain and you can feel it, you know, swell up a bit, <laughs> you know, not in the negative sense of a swelling, but I mean, like, like a cauliflower or something, grow, expand a bit. So um, it's almost like it, mm, you can lift yourself back and up by imagining, uh, mm-hmm. using mm-hmm. in that way which is a principle from body-mind centering, that the contents shape the container. So now the ultimate content is the brain tissue itself. I mean, lungs can shape the rib cage, you know, etc. It's a kind of a radical idea that the contents can shape the container. Right, and, but, and I, but I think for the brain especially, I think most people have an idea of the brain being this kind of like a computer thing that does its stuff up there and we're we're not the idea of of affecting its size or shape 
in a useful way just doesn't really occur to most people. I think maybe an image might be like a hard drive on a computer. It just is. Yeah. All yeah. the stuff is there. Why would you want to slightly expand it or something like that? You, you can't do it with a hard drive. But with your brain, you can. You can. It's a self-regulating gizmo or, you know, set universe. It's not even a gizmo. Right. And, you know, we know from people who quit thinking that their brain shrinks to the size of a walnut. You yeah. know, like, you know, those horrible cases of people kept alive for years in a coma. When they do autopsies, they find the thing has gotten really tiny because it's never been used. So it's the use of the brain enlarges various parts of it, you know, depending on how you use it. If you use it you know, for math, if you use it for art, you you know, you'll get different parts of the brain developed more than other parts. Mm -hmm. So you can use you can use your brain <laughs> to use Alexander Lingo. Yeah, and I would guess that if F. Matthias Alexander were to resurface today and take a look at CAT scans and MRIs, he'd be fascinated by that. He would because he loved science and he wanted to ally himself with science. And he, but he would see the implications for his more general he, ideas he, that we, you know, if you, if you, I think to summarize kind of what he he came upon was that we can control the way we function by the way we think. And uh, he would see this as a very useful avenue for self-direction. He would. I'm. I'm. I'm with you. I think he would. He would. Maybe he's applauding us now. Who knows? Da, da, da. I like to think so. I like to think he's here in spirit. Anyway, Galen, <laughs> um, yeah, is there is there uh, is there anything else you'd like to say on this topic of? Heads and well, yeah, one one fun factoid. <laughs> okay, yeah, that I learned from studying with Bonnie Cohen, um, you know, in body mind centering. Mm -hmm. She says that embryologically, the occiput was once upon a time going to be a vertebrae. <laughs> oh, that's and interesting. It, and so it converts, you know, it converts to becoming the bottom bone of the skull. And for me, that's a really wonderful idea because it suggests that, yes, indeed, the occiput does stay back and up as part of spine. Mm -hmm. And the rest of the skull is what flexes forward and up. So there's actually what McDonald would call opposition in the skeleton, skeletal structure of the head itself. Oh, that's, that's interesting. And maybe a couple of other... Um... Uh, examples of teachers who have done some exploring in this area of the head being a little different than maybe most Alexander teachers think of it. Certainly Missy Vineyard in her book uh, talks about uh, the frontal frontal cortex as being a really good place to put your mental attention, particularly if you're trying to solve problems and so on. The, the actual physical location of it is useful to know about. And from another strand of the Alexander technique, I'm not, I don't know whether you're familiar with the work of John Appleton, posture release imagery. Are, are you familiar with that at all? 
No. He's a teacher um, not too far from me. He's in Springfield, Missouri. He um, posture release. Did posture you say? release imagery. Um, I'll put a link to it by this interview. His yeah. his one of his interests is in dorsal uh, ventral uh, structure of of the of our bodies in that. Uh, and he 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 looks at that and uses that as an avenue for bringing about changes. And he's mm-hmm. got the whole body, including the head, mapped in mm-hmm. terms of what parts dorsal and what parts ventral. And they they, which is something I had never thought about until uh, coming across his work. And it uh, he uses a kind of an imagery that is based on the reality of the structure. But again. It's not. He's not just interested in the head. He's interested in the whole body. But even within the head, there are dorsal ventral uh, separations there and borders between them. So, those are a couple of other examples that I know of where teachers have have gone beyond the head. I guess we could call it the head as bowling ball <laughs> uh, uh, image. <laughs> Yes. And I, 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 I guess, I guess the main purpose of our conversation here is to kind of get those, those ideas out there for people to explore. I mean, Alexander himself said very clearly, uh, I don't have his exact words, but he said, you know, I'm, I just hope that what I've done is a nice, uh, is a points to uh, points the way for other investigators. Who are going to take my approach to things, but learn a lot more as they as they as they experiment with it? And he didn't say this, but obviously, as science brings us new information about ourselves, right? So, I think that's what we're doing here. That's what we're doing here. We're right at the cutting edge of <laughs> of, uh, of head mapping, you might yeah. say. Uh, well, Galen, uh, unless you have anything else you want to say, this might be a good place to bring this to an end. What do you think? Um, I unless could... there's something else you got, you're desperate to say. Uh, I, no, I'm not desperate to say anything <laughs> oh, else. <laughs> oh, okay. So, uh, except maybe you and yeah. I should do a, a workshop at a at a Alexander conference on the head. On the head. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's I'm open to that. Um, let's, let's, let's arrange that. Um, so, um, my, uh, my guest today has been Galen Kranz, who's, uh, in addition to being a professor of architecture at UC Berkeley and, and many other things in the academic world is, uh, has been an Alexander teacher for over 20 years. And we will put, uh, a, a, she, she's written a book called The Chair, Rethinking Culture, Body and Design, which, I highly recommend uh, anyone who's interested in Alexander-type ideas to uh, to read. And um, Galen, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for the invitation. <laughs>